This is the show with Cannon Brown. You know, I, there's days I go, why do I do this? Because there's definitely not enough money in it. And uh, why in the world am I uh, continuing to do this? And it's real simple. I'm doing it because I love to be around those families and those kids. I love the association with our people at Mormons. I mean, to be honest, it's been the best move we ever made. You know, Bruce and Krisha and Laura and James and Tad and Al and all those guys, they're like family and they are business, but they are good people. That's why we do it. We love to help kids. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Cannon Brown. Hey, what's up? Feels like I haven't talked to you guys in a while. It's because I haven't. It's because I took a week off. Uh, I got a little busy last week. I want to apologize for not having an episode, but I am going to make up for it with this week, with this episode right here with Mr. Shannon Schultz. Uh, one of my biggest mentors that I've had in my life. I consider him a great friend. I consider his family uh, a part of my own family. I lived with him for a, for a time uh, just working and, and kind of hanging out. Shannon has been awesome to me. His wife, Sherry, has been awesome to me. Keith uh, and, and all their kids are like uh, siblings to me. I can go on and on about how much I love this family uh, and how much I love Shannon. He's such a great guy, and he's just a wealth of knowledge about a lot of subjects and we cover a lot of subjects let me just try to map out what we cover here we talk about farming when we talk about farming we talk talk about cotton farming uh almond farming alfalfa we talk about drip irrigation we talk about flood irrigation we talk about the water crisis we talk about a drought we talk about goats we talk about pigs we talk about cattle Oh my gosh, guys, this is an overload of information, and it's a live episode. So I always love the live episodes. It's it's just so easy to banter with somebody when you're right there, right in front of them. I w- prefer these way, uh, way more than just on the phone, which is what most of my interviews are. So hope you guys like this. I took video of this interview, and I probably will be posting little clips of it like I usually do on my social media. Oh, weird. Let me plug that really quick. Uh, at the show pod on Instagram and Facebook. At the show underscore pod on Twitter. You know what it is. Like and subscribe and share. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. Tell your dog. Because I want to be best friends with your doggo. Okay. Also, my apartment complex just said that they're going to allow pets next year. Uh, so I need some suggestions on what dog I should get or cat. I'm not a cat guy. Uh, I'm a dog and cat guy. I like them both. Okay. I'm not, uh, I don't like to discriminate uh, on my pets. I think they're both cute. They both have merit. All right. That's enough talking about me. You guys know I talked way too much. Like, and subscribe at the show pod at the show underscore pod on Twitter. Without further ado. Let's do it, Mr. Shannon Schultz. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. Now we are live on the mic. Cool. Hello, Shannon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. I just had a pretty good meal. Not too shabby had for a, home-cooked beef, huh? Had a good little uh, burger with some cheddar cheese on it. There you go. fried onions. Pretty good. Pretty dang good. Yeah. Made, had some homemade french fries. Homemade french fries. 
Pretty dang good. Not bad out on the farm. When you live out here where we are, you don't have much choice. You don't run down the street to McDonald's and get a hamburger. <laughs> well, you guys have like one store down the road, and that's about it. Yeah, and it's a little sketchy this time of night. <laughs> it's a little sketchy. <laughs> Is it even open at this time nah, of night? Nah, I think it closes at 8 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, you guys live out in the... Uh... This chair is going to freak me out if I just keep wiggling. Yeah. It's a little shaky. A little shaky. You guys live out in the boondocks. Yeah, the biggest town. The, the closest town to us is Buckeye, which is about 50 miles from our house. I always forget that. I always think it's so much closer to Buckeye, but... Yeah, you told me today, I'll leave at 3, I'll be there about 3.45, 6 o'clock you get here. Yeah, it's yeah. a little long, little longer haul than you Yeah, thought. it's like a three-hour drive from Tucson to here. It's a pretty so, good track. We're only 80 miles from the California border. Yeah, it's it's a way. So uh, everyone that's not in the loop here, Shannon uh, Scholes is who I'm talking to tonight. Um, and he lives in Harquahela Valley in Arizona. It's on the west side of Arizona. Just like he said, 80 miles from the California border. Uh, it's a ways. It's a ways. But it's a great place if you want to be in your line of business. For sure. Which is the alfalfa business. There is a bunch of farms. There's a bunch of people buying farms in this area. Uh, it's it's kind of a... Uh, just some good property to have if you want to be in the alfalfa business in Arizona. It's a neat little valley. There's about 26,000 acres in this valley. And it's kind of got its unique little microclimate. And uh, this valley was developed in the 40s. 30s and 40s, early 50s. Uh, we like it out here. Yeah. We live right on the edge of a wilderness area here for the desert oh, yeah. people, but we get some pretty sunsets. There's deer, javelinas, bighorn sheep, yeah. uh, ducks, all kinds of good stuff running around here. Well, it is the wilderness. I mean, it, it is straight wilderness. If you go uh, five miles outside of where you guys are, that's desert. That's wilderness. You're not going to find anything for a long ways, for like 80 ways. miles. We got a little wilderness here. We had a little javelina come get in our uh, wash rack in our pig barn here uh, this summer. Javelina? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come and hang out there. And he that, just, that was exciting. He was in the pig barn? He was in the wash rack at the pig barn. He's just trying to go home. He was going home. He He's had, trying to get in the show barn so you can take him to a jackpot show. He had a couple gilts and heat in there, and he came and uh, was checking them out. Now, I don't know if I'm right about this, but everyone makes the argument, don't call a javelina a pig because it's not a pig, because it's more closely related to a rat. Why are we still calling them pigs? I don't know. And why do they look like pigs? They're pigs. They're pigs. They're pigs. If anybody comes and says a javelina is a, a rat or it's a rodent, don't call it a pig, shut up. Yeah, it's a pig. You're they, wrong. They make noises like that. They have piglet babies. They smell they really sm bad. They, <laughs> <laughs> they don't smell good for sure. I've got a buddy uh, that makes really good javelina though. Yeah. They make it like if you follow that uh, Stephen Ranella meat eater oh, yeah. cookbook, he'll he'll teach you how to make them pretty there dang good go. where they don't taste bad. Yeah, uh, you can have it. Go ahead on. <laughs> now, but you're pretty familiar with this area. Um, yeah, we've been. I grew up in Buckeye, and my dad grew up in Buckeye, and my kids have grown up here. So, uh, my dad's parents moved to Buckeye um, when they were early uh in their marriage and so my my dad and his siblings are all born there so we've been in buckeye 85 years something like that and uh we've been in this valley farming since 1981 and we've grown about all of it uh started with almond trees then cotton uh we started grown, with almond trees yeah my dad worked for an outfit here from northern california came and put 3500 acres of almond trees first almonds and only ever put and it and let me correct myself 
from Northern California, they're Ammons. Yeah, Ammons. So and anybody they, that's listening from California, they'll kill us if yeah, we say they're, almonds. Yeah, they're Ammons. Sorry, because they shake the L out of them. But, that's uh, the dumbest thing. I hate it when people <laughs> say that. <laughs> so we, uh, we, we had Ammon trees out here, 3,500 acres. My dad and a, another a guy named Morris Ledford came out here, started putting trees in. I was in the seventh grade. And so, of course, I grew up on a farm, and that's what we always did, and and so got to learn a little bit about those. Uh, tipped over a beehive one time and got stung by about 100 bees. So my mom got to pick bee stings out of my head for about three hours. And needless to say, I had a pretty bad headache. And oh my thank gosh. goodness I wasn't allergic. But anyway, uh, so we went from there, grew cotton. Those guys, about six or seven years later, gave up on the almond project. And we dozed all those trees out that we had planted and burned them in piles and planted cotton. I think if you had told somebody that you were burning almond trees nowadays, they'd probably look at you really like you were stupid. We piled them up with loaders, and uh, they were about, oh, the trunks were about four to six inches in diameter. We'd pile them up, push them out of the ground, pile them all up, and burn them. Did you, did you get a, like any harvest they off of them? They got two crops off okay. of them. They did, yeah. The, they had a drip system that wasn't designed correctly, so they, could, they got a root ball, and they couldn't get root penetration down in the soil, and... So they didn't. They didn't produce. They didn't. They didn't. And the market fell, and things were a little tough. So rather than lose their home farm in Northern California, uh, in fact, right down the road from where Ottenwalters is at, they were in Hamilton City in the Chico area, and uh, they they saved those home farms and and abandoned this one. Said we're done. We've lost our millions, and we're out of here. So it was interesting. Now, My dad learned a lot. I learned a lot as a young guy in seventh, eighth grade, and through high school we did that, and then. When we got out of high school, when I got out of high school, rather than go to college, I decided to farm, and that was the first year I ever farmed on my own, and had about I think I had four hundred acres of cotton when I was eighteen years old, and been out here ever since. Yeah, scattered all over the state. We farmed here. We've been here since eighty one, and not 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 farmed here, but we farmed in the far western side of the state, southern part of the state, Colorado. Uh, I think our biggest year in like nineteen ninety five, we were farming. I don't know, probably total 22,000, 20,000 acres, way too much. Yeah, that's a bunch. That's a but lot. you guys have kind of scaled back now. We have. We, uh, myself, my wife Sherry, uh, and my youngest son Keith live here. Um, I've got four older kids. Clayton is the oldest. He's 28. He works on the farm. Uh, oldest daughter, Casey, works for a crop insurance company uh, for Gary McKenzie Farm Inc., they sell crop insurance, I think, to seven or nine western states. Uh, she's a graduate of the University of Arizona. Uh, Chance is uh, at a fire sprinkler place uh, in the East Valley. They're working at Intel right now, and Sydney is going to real estate school and just graduated last May from ASU. Yeah. Keith's doing online school so he can stay home and hunt and show pigs. You bet. Keith is actually in the room right now, and if you're on uh, the if, if you're in the video, he's right behind the video, just That's creepily right. in the background. Yeah, he's just hanging out. <laughs> I and love if it. If we really want to know about hunting and the big deal, you have to ask. Keith, him. come in here and say hi. Come in here and say hi really quick, just so you're not in the background. You can go sit back when you're done, but come in the video, say hi to the people that are just listening. What's up? You you want to tell us anything? What do you like about hunting? Everything. Give me one thing that really gets you going about hunting. Actually killing the animal. Okay. Well, that was uh, Keith's minute, so everyone clap for Keith.
He will not be in any other podcast. <laughs> just messing around, Keith. Um, so you, I mean, you've been you've been in it since you we were have. Little. So since I was a kid, yeah. started driving tractor. My mom's got some old eight millimeter film. I think I was about six. My younger sister, I have a younger sister that's four years younger, Robin, and a younger brother uh, that's eight years younger than me, Kurt. Uh, Kurt's an outfitter, takes guys hunt. In fact, their camp is down on the bottom of our farm right now, and they take hundreds of guys a year hunting. Shout out Schultz Outfitters. Little Schultz Outfitter deal. Uh, my sister uh, and her husband, Daniel, uh, were in the farming deal and got out a few years ago, and he works at the nuclear plant. And uh, Anyway, our family's always been in ag. Yeah. I was driving around on that little on a tractor with my sister. I think she was a year old or two years old on an uncab open canopy tractor, driving around in circles and to this day i have no idea why my mom and dad let me do that <laughs> they did and i think i was six so oh, yeah been on a piece of equipment my whole life just it, about. well it was a different time and i know everybody it says is. that but i mean you probably would have let keith do that if it, if it was back in that day like you were just like there was nobody out here you don't have to worry about anything you don't have to worry about social media you know it's whatever. It's just kids being on a tractor, they're going to learn how to drive at some point. Absolutely. Might as well put them on when they're six. Yeah. Right? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Get they, their permanent I told the guy today, I said, the good old days were the good old days. I kind of like the good old days. This new technology stuff is awesome, and it helps us a bunch, but some of the simplicity of the good old days is pretty fun. Well, what what are you excited about just in terms of like the new stuff that's coming out? You know, I mean, we... Let me back up and tell you, we, we farm about 3,000 acres of alfalfa, We've grown cotton. We've got had a little cotton this year, and and uh, grow a little barley, wheat, things like that. But you know, we have a hay press, ship hay overseas. We are Mormon Show Tech feed distributor. We got uh, about fifty sows between ours and the the ten that our partners Neil uh, Reinhardt and their family have. We uh, we got. Uh, we just worked those cattle yesterday. I think we we have we had seventy seven cows, and uh, our newest venture is uh, we bought twenty five show does. So we're gonna start we got running. a lot to talk about here. We got a lot to talk about, buddy. <laughs> so I went and, go, went and went grabbed a notebook so that I could write so all this stuff down. What I'm excited about, you back up, is just there's a lot of opportunities if you just put yeah. your head down and work. You know, uh, things are changing in agriculture. Big agriculture is is out there and taken over in lots of areas so you got to find your niche and you know i've we've had good and bad times in our lifetime and that's agriculture it's not for everybody it's not for everybody it's but it's important to find those niches absolutely where, as as often as you can that way you don't get stagnant i i think you guys have been really good about staying on your toes keeping up with the times and, and keep innovating within your company we're uh, <laughs> a lot of people in our community would tell you and and, and I'm the older I get, the the less risk taker I am probably when it comes to trying new things. But we've our families tried a lot of stuff that people thought we were crazy. Some of it's worked, and some of it's stuff that a lot of guys around here do. And not that we're smarter than anybody, we were just willing to take a little bit of a risk and and do something a little different. But I think you got to reach out there and do that sometimes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's start just in terms of farming. Okay. Let's start there. So you have. You're, you're farming 3,000 acres of alfalfa. You yep. have some other stuff um, that you kind of take risks on sometimes. You want you don't want to just stay in the alfalfa. You want to diversify a little bit. Yep. Get the hay press. Getting the hay press. Yep. Um, and I really wanted to talk about your exporting of alfalfa, your okay. high-test hay. 
that you're sending across oceans. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell us a little bit about that process and, and where you're sending it. So we are on our particular farm, depending on the year, we're a different animal than a lot of the places in the country. We, we'll cut hay 12 months of the year. We're cutting hay now for green feed for dairy. So we'll cut eight to nine baled cuttings a year. Listen to that, folks. The folks that are get three cuttings a year. Yeah, so they're it's real different. jealous. It's it's high input. It's high output. We'll make it's ten your, tons. Yeah, you have some drip irrigated hay that'll make fourteen or fifteen tons per acre per year. Wow. Uh, we take that hay. We'll, well, let me back up. We'll make a thousand truckloads, twelve hundred truckloads a year, twenty-five to thirty thousand tons a year is what our farm will produce. Uh, we buy some from local other local farmers now to export, uh, but that export we take that depending on what you're doing. Some are direct bales, three by four by eight bales. Uh, we bale them a little short, bale them seven foot, put them in sea vans and containers or in van trailers, ship them to the coast to the port of Long Beach or or uh, L.A. They get on a on a ship and they're headed to China, Korea, Taiwan, uh, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia. Uh, a lot of Asian countries. And what are they uh, feeding Middle mostly? Country. Uh, mostly cattle. Most yeah. of it is dairy feed, but we do sell quite a lot of camel feed hmm. to the Middle East. Uh, UAE, we're sending two loads a week for Monday. Send two loads to the UAE. That's I think they've bought 20 loads this year, and it's camel feed. How do you... I, I would. There's a lot of hay producers around the country. Oh, yeah. How do you, as a hay producer, get those contracts, get in touch with people from around the world that want to buy your hay? Well, we're in a unique position here because of two things. Number one, Arizona has the climate to raise sun-cured, dry hay that is green. We don't have humidity, and our humidity in the summer is 12%. Yeah, So it dries. It cures. We don't have mold issues. They cannot put that wet hay on a boat and close it up in a container in the bottom of a ship or it turns to muck or burns so we have the climate to make the hay first so they're coming to our area okay number two we're on the i-10 corridor we're 300 miles 330 miles from the la port the los angeles port is the cheapest freight in the country exporting it cost us from here in the neighborhood depending on what we're at 900 to a thousand dollars a truckload to get it loaded on a truck and shipped to the port with all the fees associated with getting into California, yeah. environmental fees. That same load from the port in Los Angeles or Long Beach, which are next to each other, to a port in China is $200. It is one, wow. it is one fifth of what it costs us to get 300 miles. We can ship it all the way around the world to China. Because the amount of imports they're sending into the U.S., they need those containers back. They're going back 90% empty, so we are a backhaul for them. We deal with a company called Duncan & Sons here. That company's been in business in Buckeye since 1935. All they do is haul containers. They haul full containers from the coast into the Phoenix, and they turn around and leave and go back. They have three or 400 trucks. It's all those trucks. So you're dealing... there's a lot more into this than I expected. So you're dealing with a, a container company. You're dealing with exporting this. You're dealing. You're dealing with a whole a whole number of variables that could necessarily inter, interfere with everything. So I'll give you a quick rundown, and, and may, maybe this is interesting. I think this is. I think this is super interesting. So we bale the hay. We put it in a stack. We test it. 
We've got to test for protein. Yeah. We've got to test for relative food value, blah, blah, blah. Buyer says, this is what we need. Now, we get what they call a booking. They have to book it on the ocean vessel. So that's a timed deal. They're only in those ports for three days. They will unload 5,000 containers and reload 5,000 containers in three to five days. Those containers come off there, get out of the port. <coughs> we ship our product in there and they reload them and that ship leaves town. So now we have hay testing. We have to get it loaded in a container that has to be here <coughs> in a small window of time yeah. to fit getting on that ship. We also... Excuse me. Shannon's having a coughing attack. <coughs> having a cough attack here. That happens. We have... <coughs> excuse me phytosanitary <laughs> inspection it's all right let me talk to him real quick <coughs> wow. hey this uh this episode of the uh, podcast is brought to you by next level livestock camps shannon you know a lot about next level absolutely they uh they do some incredible work they're a new sponsor first ever sponsor on the show with cannon brown <coughs> next level <coughs> livestock camps you guys know him i talk about him all the time i'm a counselor Jeff Maynard has been on the podcast. He's my uncle. He's a founder, CEO. Kaylee Bontrager, you know her. You love her. She's a COO. They do incredible work. Go to nextlevellivestockcamps.com and enter promo code. Just kidding. I don't have a, I don't have a promo code. Uh, text Jeff Maynard and, and tell him to give uh, promo codes to everybody. That way I can get a cut of whatever you're getting off. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's the ad from Next Level Livestock Camps. Thanks for saving me. Maybe yep. I can talk. So we have to have a phytosanitary inspection. Government has to come out, state or federal, make sure we have no bugs, no weeds, no noxious seeds, that there's no issues with it, no disease. We have to, <coughs> my gosh, test for all that stuff. Go, hey, Keith, go get him another cough drop. <clears throat> it has to get back on, over there, gets on a boat. It gets to the other side. They test it again. It has to pass all those things. So we have a stack of paperwork for one truckload of hay. With some of that is direct load. Some of it we take into our press. We take those bales and we press them down. And this press has a hydraulic cylinder that's about 30 feet long and it's 20 inches in diameter. The hydraulic oil tank is 1,200 gallons. It presses those hay bales down and it makes them like a chunk of concrete they're three foot by four foot by three foot puts a poly wrap on them like a, pack, a, a feed sack those are what we ship to china yeah. china will not take direct baled hay they want pressed bales so we have a variance of things we send direct ship pressed bales we set or uh we ship direct bales out of the field that are baled we ship, ship uh, low quality, high quality, high test, low test, you name it. I mean, and that market comes here because of our location, our climate, and most importantly, probably is consistent availability. In the Midwest, sometimes you get snowed out, frosted out, rained out. They can come here to Arizona and buy that hay. They buy some in Southern California. California has its water issues, has all those things, which we all battle in Western states. We all battle the water deal, but uh, water is the new gold, especially in the Western US. So that business is something that we're getting more and more involved in all the time. We've just had this press not even a year yet, and uh, but our future looks bright there. I think it may be something that we turn a lot more of our focus to in the future. 
What percentage do you think, or I don't know if you know the exact number, but what percentage of hay are you selling, are you exporting uh, to foreign countries? 80%. 80%. And then 20% is just selling locally? I would tell you I know exactly. I mean, locally, basically, we used to sell a lot of baled hay to dairies. The dairies here have gone down to where they're only feeding six or seven pounds of dry matter alfalfa a day to those cows. They used to plant to to, uh, feed 40 or 50 they figured out other ways to feed their cattle because the dairy industry was tough. <clears throat> so our businesses, we've changed. Yeah, we, yeah. We, bail, we sell, oh, a couple of hundred truckloads of retail hay a year, 100-pound uh, three-string bales to some retail customers. we got uh, one real good retail customer we've dealt with for 30 years. We don't sell. The only dairy feed we sell is if they're off-grade, maybe some rained-on hay yeah. for heifers and green chop in the winter. Other than that, we really don't sell much baled hay to them. It almost all goes to export. And, and different countries want different things. China wants uh, green. We call it clean, green, and dry. Those are the three terms they want. Clean, green, dry hay. Lower test, 150 relative food value, uh, 18%, 17%, 19% protein. Uh, the Middle East, there's a company here called Fondamonte, and they've come here. There And there's it's controversial. They're a Middle Eastern company. They do a fantastic job. They have a lot of money. They buy all the best, finest, fanciest brand new equipment and lots of it. They're farming 30,000, 40,000 acres in this area and continuing to buy more. Uh, but well, they, I, they I, buy yeah. the top end hay. That's all they want the gravy. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because uh, there are a bunch of, um, what, what do you call them? Business liaisons from the Middle East coming to the west side of Phoenix and purchasing huge plots of land, whether it be to farm alfalfa or to put up huge dairy farms. Yeah. How it's, do you compete with that? You don't. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I mean, it's oil money. It's, it's, they have no way to produce food for their people. Yeah. So it's a different deal. Uh, that company that we're talking about in particular, I think the number uh, that they bought last year was somewhere in the neighborhood of 400,000 tons of alfalfa. It's all shipped out of the country. Jeez. All goes to the United Arab Emirates. There's a lot of controversy in the media here locally. Uh, a lot of talk about it, uh, shipping our water out of here. We live in a desert. There's three and a half plus million people. There's got We have to have water. Yeah. They're shipping that water. A lot of people don't like that. That ground was farmed by someone else, and that, ground, that water was being used. Yeah. I think it's just a bad taste in their mouth. For us, to be quite honest, they've, they've helped us here. They've come, they've come in, they've taken some of that market when we had our trade differences with China. The China deal literally dried up in a matter of about a week. We had contracts, we were shipping hay, and they said, stop, don't ship anymore. This was two summers ago. Why was this? Why did they say stop? We had, got, we had a trade battle a, with China. Tra- yeah. And uh, th- because we tacked on some tariffs, they said, stop it, don't ship anymore. All of a sudden we're going, oh, what do we do now? Thank goodness that fall Fondamonte came in. They were buying some hay the next spring. They bought a lot of hay, and they're big buyers. They they probably won't buy quite as much this year because their barns are fairly full. But you know they've built two hundred big new barns, have yeah. fire sprinklers in them, concrete floors in them. They're nice. Yeah. So uh, anybody that's listening that's just confused, we talk fast. The Fondamonte, what is it? Fondamonte. That's the business that came over from the Middle East that's, yep. that's raising or that's buying a lot of hay and they're buying and raising their yeah. own. Yes. Um, you, you mentioned the water Yep. and I want to ask you a question before we get into water, because you mentioned, uh, you do some drip irrigation. We do. 
And I, I want this to be kind of a, a good episode for people that like to listen about farming too, because obviously you farm a lot, your wealth and knowledge on farming. We're going to talk about livestock too at, the, at some point, but I yep. wanted to touch Absolutely. on a bunch of this stuff. Now, you do uh, a, a drip irrigation we do. on a couple fields. Yep, 600 acres. 600 acres. And then um, besides that, it's it's just... Uh, it's flood irrigation. It's flood irrigation. The rest of it's flood irrigation. So tell me, obviously drip irrigation is the, the better one out of the two. It is. It's more efficient. Is it worth it for the price? Is it worth it for all the time that goes into it? Probably. What's interesting that we found at the drip irrigation is it's probably about... 30% more efficient on water. But if you use the same amount of water, we especially on alfalfa, if we use the same amount of water we were using on flood, we actually see a 50% increase in yield. If we were to cut our yield, our water consumption back, we would save the money on water mm-hmm. and save the amount of water, but our production would fall. Yeah. So to pay for this system, it's better to use the amount of water you can to uh, pay for the system, system is about two thousand dollars an acre. Yeah. For the for the filters, we have twenty four sand filters uh, pond to hold it. Two wells pump into that, and there's millions of feet of drip tape. It's buried nine inches under the surface every uh, forty inches across six hundred acres. So miles and miles and miles. Just think about that, folks. Like a drip irrigation that you have in your home garden out in your backyard. They Shannon's got that on 600 acres. It's becoming a huge thing. I mean, there's yeah. more. You're not the only person that does it. There's a bunch of farmers that do it. Uh, what's what's the hold back on just going full bore? Let's just get into it. I'll drip capital. Yeah, money. you got to have the money for it. Money, and we and we 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 lease almost every acre we farm is leased. Uh, all the farm, all the ground we farm right now is leased. We sold the ground we had a few years ago, and. Uh, we, uh, you know, so the landowners that own this is almost all investors now, and they've invested in this ground for the water. Yeah. This valley has a lot of water underneath it, uh, and the owners of the ground bought it for water. So they don't want to put an infrastructure in there that if at some point in some time and one, one day down the road, which probably is coming to a theater near us soon, oh. that they want to shut this thing down yeah. and start saving that water to sell to the cities. Because there's a... There's a project that was put in in the 1970s and early 80s. It's called Central Arizona Project, and it's a canal. You live in Tucson, which is three hours south of us. Mm-hmm. That canal runs from the Colorado River all the way to Tucson, and it delivers ag and municipal water all across the state of Arizona. The Bureau of Reclamation put that project together in the 70s, and uh, so that's that's the big thing. In the West, if you're in agriculture and you don't understand water, you're in big trouble. Uh, so let's just talk about it. Help me understand the water problem that's going on right now in the West, because as somebody that's out of it, I don't. I know we're in a drought. It seems like we're always in a drought. So what what is the big water problem? The big water problem is we have we live in a desert yeah. in Phoenix. I'll just say Phoenix. There's three and a half, four million people in the Phoenix I think it's metro. More area. than that now. It may be bumping five million now. Yeah. You have Tucson that's now. Um, you know, I don't even know what Tucson is. A million, three quarters of a million people. I don't know how many are in Tucson. You have LA, 12 million people in the LA basin. Where does the water come from? Yeah. They got to drink water. They got to water lawns, water trees, wash your car, all those things. California started to see this years ago. So they just started taking water out of the Colorado River. Colorado River comes from the western slope of the Rockies, comes into Lake Powell, Glen Canyon Dam through there, down the, down the Grand Canyon, 
to Hoover Dam at Lake Mead, and then in from Hoover it comes into uh, into Moha Lake Mojave, out of Lake Mojave into Lake Havasu. All the tributaries that come into those end up in there. They start pulling that water out to feed cities. Yeah. Well, when it gets to Mexico, there's nothing left. It's all gone. There's not a drop left in that thing. They have to leave, you know, 2,000 gallons a minute running through there is all they've got to run. So, of course, it's not the size of the Mississippi River. It's a big, It's it's got a lot of water in it up top. Yeah. It's over allocated 12%. So there's 12% more than the annual average rainfall allocated out of that thing. So we have to have 112% rainfall, annual rainfall to, to stay at even. Oh my gosh. That's awful. Yeah, I mean, I could go on forever. Drought contingency plan in place. Uh, Lake Mead, if you ever go across the Hoover Dam going to Vegas, yeah. you see the white line that used, is on yeah, the wall? Yeah, that used to be there. That's where it used to be. Now it's below that. It's real simple. We don't have any restrictions on how many times a day you can wash your car or water your lawn. If you can pay the bill, you can use it. So what's what's the answer? I mean, I and I know the, like it's the golden rule, Cannon. What is it? The guy that has the gold makes the rule. Yeah. The ones that are going to buy the water and use the water in the future in Arizona and Southern California and Northern California, for that matter, is going to be who can pay the most, and that's the consumer. Our water is $60 an acre foot. There's 326,000 gallons in an acre foot. We pay $60. If you're paying that bill on your house, that bill costs you $1,000. Wow. So tell me who's going who's gonna to get the water. It's the golden rule. Yeah. So that's what's going to happen. But uh, there needs to be agriculture, so there has to be some, some <clears throat> sort of allocation to where... There has to be allocated water to agriculture uh, industries. And Do you think that the <laughs> average assume. American consumer cares where their food comes from? I think they, more and more they, people are. I think there's a movement that way, and I it needs to be. Mm -hmm. But I think people think they can go to bashes where Cannon cuts meat and say, I can get my meat, I can get my dairy, vegetables, my whatever I'm getting yeah. from the store. I don't care where it comes from. And that's a sad reality, but it's the truth. Yeah. 40 years ago, we knew it was all localized. The produce was only in the store because it was grown locally. Yeah. You didn't ship it. We ship, our neighbors are Del Monte. They ship cantaloupes and honeydews around the world from the farm next door to us. Just the way it is. People in this country especially, don't they don't care as a whole, especially on the coast that are in the cities. They're just uneducated. They're not stupid people. They're just uneducated. They don't understand where their food comes from. But here's what I'm saying is they they could be uneducated and they could not care where their food comes from. But when that food starts disappearing from the shelves, they're going to start wondering. And then they're going to start, and hopefully people will start saying, hey, you know what? I really like some peaches not in peach season. Yeah. I, I want them year-round like Walmart does or like Bash's does or whatever. Hey, let's let's allocate some some water. I don't. I hope it doesn't go, come and, to that. And you know where we get peaches today in off season? Chile uh, from Chile. Really? Stone fruit comes from Chile. I actually didn't know that. California in the season, Chile in the off season. Why? It, Georgia doesn't have peaches. Georgia has peaches. Okay, I'm like, why? It, Georgia has. Peaches. Okay, I'm just making sure. They're scattered around, but and on the West Coast, we get them. We get them from wherever, but we get them from foreign countries most of the time. And then when they're in season in California, we'll get them from California. So basically what we're saying is... Everything, needs to do something. you know, here's something we haven't said, Cameron. Let's do it. 
any listeners you got in the Midwest, it's rainfall. If we grow it here, it's irrigated. Yeah. Period. Oh, yeah. yeah it yeah, does definitely. not grow without irrigation. So we talk about water. We have to have the water to farm. We don't irrigate it. There is no farming. That's a good point to say, too. I, Period. I, just, I, I keep thinking that we're in our we, own minds. We assume that they know. Yeah, but if there's no water, we're messed up. And they've been saying that we've been in a drought and we, we've been low on water for 20, 15, 20 years. I mean, it feels like... Up and down, yeah. It feels like ever since I've known how to listen... People have been talking about a drought and, oh gosh, the water's running out, blah, 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 blah. It's scary, dude. We have a lot of, like, it we is. have a lot of global problems coming up that are, like, really going to hit us on the head. Our, our population continues to grow. and it I grow, think it's, it's stabilizing, actually. It, it is a little. That's what, that's what everybody's saying. It is because your generation's not having kids as early. Yeah. Um, we're, yeah, we're not but having our, sex, actually. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's yeah. what the news story was. Well, Millennials are not having sex. Ha- having sex, so. That's okay. <laughs> that's good. They need to get married first. <laughs> Shannon but you, Foreman. But you think, you think about our, you think about our coast, Cannon. Yeah. That's where all the, that's where our population's at on those coasts. There's no desalinization plants here. You know why we're shipping hay to Saudi Arabia? Why? Because they said, whoa. We're not spending water month. We're not spending water on agriculture. We have to have water for our people. For the people, they would so rather they subsidize okay. the feed coming into their country than using their own water on feed because they don't. The desalinization plants are so inefficient. Their population has grown such that they don't care. Dubai, those countries, they're they've got lots of money. We'll pay to bring in ag commodities to feed our camels to feed our cows for milk, to do those things rather than rather than spending it on agriculture. They want their water for their people. We're, we're, we're in the same trend in the, in our world, yeah. in, on the, in the United States. We got really lucky with the continent that we were born on. I mean, this, this, is a, this continent is just a wealth of resources. Absolutely. They're kind of trapped in there in the Middle East. I mean, they're just trapped in that like dead zone that they have to... And they can produce lots of oil. They, well, yeah, they can. So we, got, we know that. They've, they've got a way to generate revenue yeah. to offset that. So it's interesting. What kind of... Uh, we could go on and on on water. I talk about it every day. I want to talk about it more. It's our number one concern. We'll have to do that another day. I want to look up... I want to research it more so that like I will know... I can know more and then we can like really talk about it because... I feel like I need to learn a little bit more. That way, we can have an educated conversation about some it. of the some of the people in agriculture coming out of college today or or in their infancy in their career. If you were an ag attorney that specialized in water law, you can write your own ticket. My roommate's doing that right now. Shout out Joseph Fickett. You got a good job lined up for you, buddy. He, he has no shortage of work. Really, absolutely. So anybody that wants to go into law. Water law. Water law. Arizona, California, Nevada. Well, I mean, it, it could be anywhere. I mean, it, resources are dwindling. That's kind of yeah. how it goes. You kids quit having kids and our population yeah. can shrink a little and maybe we'll stay in business farming in Arizona. Right? What do you think about, uh, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, I don't know. Protein. I'm trying to think. Insect protein. What do you think about that? You can eat all the bugs you want. I'm not doing it on purpose. Well, I took a uh, entomology class a couple semesters ago, and that was a big thing thing that we talked about with the 
ever-growing population and it's been talked about a bunch but like insect uh protein it's people eat them all over the world we they just got, have, we kind of have a stigma about it here they got to eat something though that yeah. will survive so maybe they need some ag to eat on there's some new things coming we've got some there's we have some partners are we have a partner on our hay press and scott jackson from idaho and and his number one guy brian ford are our partners on our press and we uh They've got some things coming down the line on some proteins and some things they've got patented that are, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be a game changer if, if they get it done. Like like uh, lab produced protein or actual oh, no, protein? Oh no, no, actual uh, protein. I have an NDF sign so I can't tell you oh, the whole yeah, story. No but uh, Shannon's an uh, important it's, guy over it'll here. Be in, it'll be innovative. They've got it done, they're just going through the approvals. They'll have 40 million bucks in the project before they get done. Wow. That's a lot of money. What would you think about a... You're not allowed to tell me. A, no. Okay. Vegetarian, vegan, tasteless, odorless, colorless protein. That'd be interesting. That'd be very interesting. Flavored how you want it, colored how you want it. Very high level. Are you... Very are you, highly absorbable. Do you like this? Do you like... I would think that you would be the person that's so against... It, this it's, idea. But it's ag driven. It's it's, based it's ag driven. So it's but it's uh, so it's plant based. It's a plant based. Uh, it has to be to be vegetarian. Okay. We we can't we can't say anymore. We're gonna blow the lid off this deal. That does sound really cool. It's been. I mean. Oh yeah. Um, Beyond Meat's doing that. I think isn't Beyond Meat. Yeah, and of course, if you listen to some of those Beyond Meat things, look what they're talking about. There's 40 different chemicals involved to make. Well, yeah. Beyond Meat. Now they're talking about maybe this is the next vape deal. You know, we don't well, know what the you, we don't know what the we, I, there was an article the yesterday. The Impossible Burger. The Impossible Burger. They're saying we don't know what the long term effects of that In, thing are. For and the I'm liver. an ag guy. Let's eat. Yeah. Let's you know you would rather eat those chemicals and take a chance yeah. than how about having a how like about a having a hamburger like we had tonight. Come on. We know what that thing was fed. I fed it. Mormon Show Tech feed and good old yeah. Sun Cured Harquahela Alfalfa. You bet. That's the best stuff you can buy. Yeah, I just I, I read that article about the yeah. Impossible Burger and it was messing up people's livers. I'm pretty sure is already. What, yeah, and who cares? Okay, in that commercial that they ran with all those cowboys, ridiculous. With their, oh, this tastes like a burger. Here's the deal: you're putting everything on the burger that's not good anyway. You're putting the bun on. The bun's not good. You don't like people aren't getting fat because of the burger. It's the carbs that are and the ketchup and and all that stuff. So, if you want to be healthy, just get a get meat, get it's, meat and get get, get the bun off. It's the movement, dude. It's the fat. It's the movement. It's the, it's the trend. Fat. It's all you college not heads. It's all the millennials. I'm What's gonna, under me? Actually, I'm gonna say ASU, but I'm gonna call it a U of A. Okay, since okay. it's ag school. Yeah, Sydney won't like land grant. That, but That's all right. right. I don't think she listens. She but might listen to yours, though. She might. I, I maybe, hope she maybe, does. Maybe you pick up a listener for him. Shout out Sydney Parsley. Okay, so... Oh, gosh. Okay, so we covered that. Bang, bang, bang. Let's talk about... We need to go back to you. Okay. Uh, so you start farming. You get like 400 acres when you're 18, right yep. out of high school. Yep. You farm for a little bit, but then you were an insurance agent for a little while, weren't you? Like I told you earlier, I do lots of stuff. So, yeah, I... Uh, had a parts store. We had a, no. We bought a big A parts store. <laughs> I don't know why we thought that was a good idea. That was a bad idea, but uh, we lost plenty of money on that. And uh, but you know we were farming a lot of acres. I think in 1995 we had 8,500, 9,000 acres of cotton and 
wheat, barley, uh, alfalfa. So we were buying insurance from a, a friend of ours named John Jones, and John was a good guy, and he said, you know, you're crazy. Him and Harvey Peterson said, you need to go get your insurance license. At least you can sell yourself insurance and make the commission. So I did that <laughs> and, and made some money off of that. For I did that about 10 or 12 years. and and uh, Just on the side? On the side, and uh, it was good because there were some pretty slim times in Ag then, and so I could make a living selling insurance, and I knew all the players. I knew all the people uh, in Ag, so I had a built-in business space. So it was good. Enjoyed it. Casey's doing it now. And in fact, my competitor, uh, I was in the business, I think, and then Gary got started, and uh, they do a phenomenal job. Um, and Casey, that's who Casey works for yeah. now is when I got out of the business, the Gary and those guys have kind of taken over that deal. And basically, uh, I think there's another game in town here, but they're the kings. They, yeah. they do a great job. So, yeah, did that. Did the insurance business. Did the parts store. Uh, we've sold feed for quite a while. Yeah. I think we've been selling feed for almost 20 years now. Started with Sunglow when uh, Alan Schrag and the guys there and Jay Winter and those guys had Sunglow in, in uh, Heston, Kansas. And then uh, now we're with the Showtech crew and yeah. couldn't be happier. No better crew in the world. Well, yeah, it seems like, I mean, you guys have been moving feet around here. It's been, you guys are a real source for, for uh, 4-H and FFA kids around here. Because you've been selling feed for so long, people know that not only are you in the uh, farming business, you raise hogs, but also you're selling feed and distributing feed and helping those families out there. You know, I, there's days I go, why do I do this? Because there's definitely not enough money in it. And uh, why in the world am I uh, continuing to do this? And it's real simple. I'm doing it because I love to be around those families and those kids. I love the association with our people at Mormons. I mean, to be honest, it's been the best move we ever made. You know, Bruce and Krisha and Laura and James and... Tad and Al and all those guys, they're like family and they are business, but they are good people. That's why we do it. We yeah. love to help kids. We don't make any money doing it. I mean, in the long run, we might make a dollar or two, but it not nearly what it is. You know what I did today? I told you I've spent the day in yeah, a delivery you, you truck myself delivering feed, you know. Yeah. We have a lot of sub dealers, so that's fun. We like it. It gets us, that's our pat. I mean, I love agriculture, any yeah. sector form. Of it, you know, like I said, now we've got three species. Uh, Neil keeps telling me you're going to have sheep next, and Neil's a fool if he thinks I'm going to have sheep. He can have them because I'm out. <laughs> that's your species, yeah. But I like them. We love to work with kids, and that's really our passion. Gets us to go to the livestock shows and get to talk to those families. And we have made a lot of contacts yeah. and a lot of friends through it. Well, that's uh, it's more towards your alley because you like to be personable. You like to be. You like to help out. And what, what better way than distributing feed and helping out families with learning how to feed, learning the ingredients, learning the supplements. It it kind of fits right up your guys' alley. You and Sherry, I mean, Sherry, if Sherry <coughs> could be out there on the road helping families, she would be out there on the road helping families every For day. For sure. Absolutely. She would be. She'd have, she'd have a calendar. Okay, I'm going here, here, here. No charge. Absolutely. There's days I have to rein her back close. Hey, whoa, slow down. Yeah. If you guys, anybody around the country, you need... Somebody to break your hog, fly in Cherry Schultz. She'll get it done. Yeah, she can. We only had one in the history of our deal that she hasn't broke. Yeah, Unbra only one unbreakable one. Now, did you start? You kind of grew up with your uncle raising hogs, right? You know, I, I mean, Cannon. When we started, I uh, 
we farmed in a little area down to Gila Bend <coughs> and uh, lived down there on Woods Road in that old house. There's a lot of memories there. Used to pull my sister around in a red wagon on my motorcycle. Oh, you bet. But uh, when I was old enough, my dad asked if I wanted to be in 4-H because my uncle was a 4-H leader and had pigs. So I got a 4-H pig and, you know, times were a little different then. There was no jackpot series. No. There was no nothing else to do. You could have went to the state fair and... I suppose uh, that had been 43 years ago, 42 years ago. Um, the Arizona Nationals was around, and I assumed the hog show was going, but that just wasn't in our yeah. box. So that's where I started. My uncle had some sows, Gene, and a lot of people tell me that I uh, I get that passion from him. My dad likes it um, and liked it a lot, but probably not like I do and. And like my uncle did, my uncle lived and breathed the hog deal. And what he really loved was those Durocs. Oh, he said it's because his daughters were all redheaded, oh, so yeah. he liked the redheaded pigs too. But so yeah, I we I showed a pig at the state fair or at the county fair every year. We get one. I think a couple of times I got two. Had the grand champion one time, and you've seen some of those pictures. Yep. The thing we're gonna do is we're gonna get all those pictures up from when I started in seventy seven to 2020 and you can see the line of those hogs and my have <laughs> yeah they've changed they, my i mean they've they changed taste. so much since the 2000s they were humpback skinny no muscle then they got hairy and just absolutely nothing then they got really short and squatty and fat then they got too heavy muscle then they got ultra lean yeah then they got too wide and fat again and now we're back kind of in the middle where i say it's my favorite pig we've ever raised oh they're so maybe pretty the now. hardest thing to ever raise but they're sure pretty they are good looking now and anybody that's not a hog person um just be quiet okay they are looking hogs are looking pretty these days looking good they're looking really good looking good. like here's what i think is uh, here's what kind of blows, blows my mind when I think about the history of uh, the livestock industry. We, we like things that are level. We like things that are balanced. Our mind goes to things that are balanced. Oh, yeah. So what made us think at that point in time that a humped pig that was so lean and so fine bone was good? Do you know why? And, I, and to be honest, I, I was thinking about this today because I have a lot of people I do business with that don't understand what we do. Yeah. Chinese guys come. They don't understand what showing pigs. My employees don't understand. What, what are you doing this with yeah. pigs for? I don't understand. Somebody comes to your cell and they pay $2,000 for that little pig. What's wrong with them? That's a butcher <laughs> hog, you know. He's a magic we, pig. We tried to follow the industry, the commercial industry for years. And that's what a lot of those hogs look yeah. like. We have finally, I think, decided when the hogs got ultra lean and we were feeding all this protein and no fat and they were so hard... Because the consumer wanted a lean, I think we finally have decided maybe what the reality is is it's a show pig. Yeah. There's no real there is no real connection. There's no correlation. Commercial and that we don't sell eleven month old or ten month old pigs in the commercial world. Today's world, there's some barrels that get showed at 10, 10, probably ten months old. Yeah. That's just a stark reality. In the commercial world, you would kill all those sows. Yeah. So I think we finally maybe can and have decided with pigs, there's no correlation. It's weird because uh, the hog industry is basically the only industry that it does that, that there is no correlation between the commercial side and the show side. Sheep probably a little. I mean, Sheep. they don't sell 160-pound market lambs. You're right. 
I was thinking more along the lines of, um, well, goats, goats are goats. Goats are going to be goats. Yeah. But cattle, the cattle industry. At least fit a little. They're, they're very correlated. I mean, the bulls that you can use on a production side are still bulls that can be used on the show side if you want to fit into your, uh, fit into your spot, fit into your whole situation. I tend to think of that, the hog side being no correlation as a bad thing. I don't know. My mind, I just think, why not have a correlation whether we, whether they catch up with us or we kind of find a middle ground. I think a correlation would be good just to have the look be the same so that the, so that the hog industry isn't two separate parts. <coughs> well, and we're driven some by the commercial industry. You know, we were yeah. just talking today about, you know, this no paling deal that paling's going to go away and China's driving that. But I think cattle probably... Let's, let me back up. I think any show's animal, <coughs> whether you're showing horses or hogs, at a high level, there's no real, there's no realism. Yeah. It's whatever it takes. Yeah. Wintex term, right? <laughs> <coughs> and that's a great slogan. But... Shout out, Will. There you go. Come on the podcast. We, when we get down to the county level, the local level... There's probably a little more realism in production because we've got buyers buying those animals, having them butchered. They're going on a plate at grandma's house. Yeah. So there's a little more realism, especially probably in the cattle. There's a few more commercial type cattle at local counties. We get to the state and national levels. That's where all the that's where all the fifty seven Chevys come rolling out. It's oh, yeah. all the custom stuff. Yeah. You know, and we can talk about that, but I mean it no matter what you're doing, if you're if you're showing cars, <coughs> livestock, or shooting competitively on a league, when you get to the high level, it, you're going to start messing around different. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be Things it's going to be on a different level. You're going to be wanting to chase <coughs> chase the banners and stuff like that. Absolutely, it, gets, it definitely gets to a new level. Uh, I want to talk about goats. Okay, I don't you, know much. Neither do I. So this is going to be a fun conversation. But I love them, and I think there's. I mean, I've had a couple goat guys on here. I've had Alan. Uh, he came on. That's who I bought the goats from. Great guy. Awesome. Um, why? Tell us why you wanted to buy some goats, and and then tell us what your what kind of your goal is for the goats. Well, a couple things. Number one, um, <clears throat> I like livestock. Yeah. The goat deals always kind of interested me a little bit. Uh, and to be quite frank, I just I'm not interested in the sheep deal much because they're dumb. Yeah, they're really stupid. They're just cheap. Yeah. Um, but the goat deal is interesting to me. I race hay. It fits my program. We, you know, the kids started with uh, I think six head of cattle about 12 or 15 years ago, and just through some selection and Keith's got a little little herd going, and you know. We've got a pretty good sized cattle herd now. We got more cattle than we got hogs. Everybody thinks we're really? sheep guys. We have more cattle than we have pigs. I didn't know that. I think we got seventy-seven mama cows now. Jeez, when did you buy all them? The, we haven't bought them. We've kept back heifers and oh bread and gosh. Keith. Uh, Sydney bought, I think, two, and Chance bought two, and Keith has bought from Krisha and Shay Geffert. He's bought uh, four from them, and. Uh, so that's where we're raising awesome. the cattle. But the, but the goat deal fit. Yeah. We got the feed. Uh, I mean, they're like real heifers, basically. And to be quite frank, the, the ASF deal spooked me a little. 
in the swine, swine deal, fever. African swine fever deal spooked me a little, and I, I pray that it doesn't come to the U.S. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it would not only be devastating to the commercial industry, but it stops. I'm afraid it would stop the show industry in, in its tracks. I think and that's it would, something, and that's it, something it a lot definitely. of people don't want to talk about. Yeah. But it's a stark reality that if if it comes or came, it, it's gonna it's gonna hamper our ability. So maybe a little bit of a hedge. Uh, I've been thinking about it for a while. Then Jeff did the camps, and I visited with Alan. And to be quite honest, we were sitting at our Phoenix show. We were setting up, and my buddy Gary Davis and and Neil Reinhardt, we they were there, and Jeff. We were setting up all the banners, and they we were all BSing. And when it's us four, it's horrible. It's a constant teasing deal. But uh, and those guys were saying, "Hey, we're going to buy some goats." I'm like, "Yeah, right. You're not buying a goat. Yeah, we're going to buy some." So they were watching an online sale. Well, those two bought them a goat, and I said, "Well, I'm going to wait. I'm going to buy me one where I know what I'm buying. I'm not just going to get an online sale and buy yeah. one. I got nothing against online sale." Long story short, it really it said, "Okay, I'm going to do it now." The SF deal kept ticking. I had an opportunity. I called Alan and I said, "Hey, look for some does. I'd buy a group of them and see what you can put together." And I'm in no hurry, but you know, next six months, year, what do you you know? See what you can find. He wasn't three weeks he says hey i got a group tommy milligan's got a group of them be interested in them yeah what are they he told me told me what the price was but you got to take the whole group and if you don't get them out quick he's going to breed them so i bought them went to oklahoma picked them up and they're in arizona eating arizona alfalfa now where are they at right here right over here right here I'm gonna take a look at them. You're gonna have to take a peek. Well, we're gonna go out there after the. They're fun. They're fun to watch. They're fun to mess around with. They got great personalities. They're different than the pigs. Just something a little different. Diversify, Cannon. Can't keep all your eggs in one basket. I completely agree. I mean, we've been talking about that the whole time. How you guys have always been diversified in farming. Um, You kind of diversify in your in your interest. You did. uh, You were a insurance agent wall farming you do the feed deal on the side you raise hogs now you're doing goats i think it's a great idea i think i think it's a good idea to diversify maybe something hits right hopefully that's the plan let's talk i don't want to bum everybody out but let's talk a little bit about asf or african swine fever because i haven't necessarily i i mentioned it one time on the podcast and was with it was with Ernest. right and we didn't really talk about it a bunch i i want to get i want you to kind of spell out what the heck's what, what's going to happen if ASF I, You know, I, I can't say that I know. I mean, I'm on the Arizona Pork Council Board of Directors. Um, our president is a, a guy that works for Smithfield, and I visited with him one day, and, and I said, what, what, do you, <coughs> what do you suspect that will happen if ASF, God forbid, does come to the United States for the show industry? He said, in my opinion, and I think the industry's opinion is the show pig deal's over. Yeah, um, which is smart. As much as people yeah, don't because, want to admit because it, because we are not we are not what feeds the world. Yeah, uh, we have to pro- we have to protect that commercial industry. And we're dumb. We're and, dumb. And we do we do stupid things we when do it comes st- to biosecurity. We mix all these animals together. We're not very smart. We are awful. And, it, and it's just it's just the livestock show industry, yeah. horse industry. It, it's all that way. It's yeah. kind of like sending your kid to preschool. Exactly. I mean, you don't there's, know what you're coming a bunch back of with. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, you take it home and everybody's sick. So. You know, I don't know a lot about ASF. I know it's bad. It sounds to me like they're getting it a little more under control, or at least it's 
Uh, well, they, I, claim, I thought they found a cure for the, it. I, I heard the rumor that on Plum Island that they came up with some yep. type of a vaccine. I don't know if it's viable or vaccine, yeah. uh, financially, you know, if it's feasible. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. So I, I you, you it's don't scary. hear you don't hear it in the news, and it shouldn't be in the news because we don't need a panic in. Well, because can, with the consumer consumers are going to go the, and drive yeah. the price down because yeah. it has no effect on humans, the meat, any of those things, and, and we don't have it. So I don't know. We'll see. I hope it doesn't come. I hope we don't ever see it. But I think it's the same as when PED hit. When PED hit, show pig guys were so lax and so easily infected because we didn't have a we didn't have a biosecurity program put in place. I think it got a lot of guys in place. I think this deal has opened a few eyes, at least in the commercial industry. It has closed and tightened our borders down. They're looking for more things, and this country's pretty good at it. Our people that work for the government are pretty good at policing it. So hopefully it doesn't come. If it does, there's going to be livestock. Kids want to show livestock. Yeah. Some will quit. Some will switch to goats, to sheep, to, to cattle. I don't know. It's a good way. I mean, we talked about this earlier before the podcast, but uh, it's a good hedge. It, it it's a good hedge. Bet and I just hope in case. I hope it's a bad hedge yeah. for that and a good hedge on the industry. There's a shortage of those animals. Well, and that's anywhere was, you go, yeah. they're hard to find. I yeah. tried to buy. I tried to buy a weather for Keith to show to just get some experience and find a good. There was none, you know. And I was in January looking for some. To show in April, they're gone. Yeah, you can always find a hog around here and there. Uh, the goats, they're tight. Yeah, they're tight. I think you're gonna love them. They're neat. They're fun. Yeah, they got good personalities. Yeah. Uh, did you see that Kelly's is selling like a hundred door per use? I see that. Looks pretty interesting. That to guy's me. pretty sharp though. Where's yeah. his next move? I have no idea. He got out of the goat deal, moved into the dorpers. Where's yeah. the next big move? I don't know. I think I think they like the Dorpers. I don't know. I've been talking to them about having them on the podcast. Those guys are smart. Yeah. That, that family's smart. They are. Um, we're we're bouncing around everywhere. a lot, but that's Which, okay. I think that's fine. Uh, that's the way I roll. Tell us a little bit about the trade deal for the people that don't really know. In terms of agriculture, in terms of what you know, I the trade deal is going well. The USMCA, the the United States Mexico um, Canada agreement, um, is good. I mean, we need to trade with Canada. We need to trade with Mexico. Uh, that'll help us. Um, whether you're a Trump fan or not, and, and I'll be frank, I wasn't a big Trump fan when he was running for office. I thought there was a better choice. Me either. Um, but I think he was a hell of a lot better than the alternative. Um, but. Uh, now we've got the China trade deal. That was a bumpy deal for us. Yeah. Um, it, we, a lot of us were about ready to go to Washington and march the streets. But I think in the long run, what he's done for agriculture and what the administration has done has been good. Yeah. I think we can't be pushed around. Uh, I think China needs us more than, we, than they lead on. I know that in the hay business. I've had some Chinese hay buyers here in the last 30 days. Uh, they're looking for hay. They had some stockpiles. They were buying from other countries, from Spain, Portugal, uh, a little Australian stuff. 
Australia's on fire. They're in a drought. Yeah. Big like, time. Really bad. Bad. Really, really bad. Um, th- I had some guys here that have a, a grass that we're going to try some. Another deal that we're going to try. It's called Rhodes Grass. Uh, that's a little different deal, and it's an export product. China can't get it. They can't yeah. get a consistent supply. They can go henpeck some stuff. They need us, especially on the hay. Here's our challenge. Number one challenge we have with China. They implement rules that don't really make any sense. Here's the biggest one that we deal with. Our alfalfa has to be tested for a GMO traits. Yeah. It can have none. No GMOs. Basically, 0.03% GMO. Um, How do you get a 0.03% GMO? It's a trace. <laughs> it's a okay. trace. It's a trace. So all alfalfa basically has to be GMO-free. That's fed to cattle yeah. or whatever. They buy soybeans all day long that are GMO from this country, and those people eat that. So there's no, in our mind, there's no real reason why. It's just a bargaining tool. They're shrewd business people. They have the money. Uh, They play a lot of games, and but it's the it's the old deal. It's the golden rule deal that I told you. The yeah. old, you'll learn that long older you get. I'm 51 and I learn the golden rule almost every day. They have the gold. They're going to make the rules. They could say, fine, we're going to let our people go backwards because of the, the way their government is run. We don't care about proteins. We don't care about good quality food. We're not buying anything from a, from the U.S. It would hurt us. And they can do that. They can. Because yeah. their people have no choice. Yeah. They're not going to revolt in it's the It's a communist. It's a communist, communist pseudo-communist yeah. country. That basically, yeah. Basically, that they have no choice. In the U.S., if we did that, they'd all be kicked out of office. Yeah. So it's a different animal. We need China. They need us. I think we'll have a good working relationship and have in the past. Our challenge we have in this country is we're too good. We're too nice? We're too good. Our, our, we're too good at what we do. Okay. We've taken corn yields to 220, 40, yeah. 60, 80, 300 bushel averages. 20 years ago, we the corn growers were hoping to get 140. Yeah. Cotton. We raised cotton this year and last year and hadn't for several years. We made six bales to the acre of cotton. Average last year. We made four this year. So the variability was two bales. Crop was a failure around here this year for a lot of guys. When I started farming, a bumper crop was three bales. That was 32 years ago, 33 years ago. So we're raising more. And the reason is because it takes more to make a living because of the cost of number one machinery. Yeah. No offense to the machinery people, machinery costs are out of control. Input costs, seeds, fertilizers, labor. We now have you know $12 an hour. Minimum wage in Arizona. California is going to $15 an hour. It costs more, so we have to make more. Yeah. Technologies have been incredible. Companies that get a bad rap like Monsanto, I've been to their headquarters, have some good friends that work for that company, which is now Bayer. They saved us. Oh, they saved they our They saved our life. Yeah. They put GMO in cotton. We yeah. had pink bollworm, and they were eating our cotton crops alive. We have none. They're eradicated. They're gone. Corn earworm, virtually none out there now. Yeah. I mean, technology has been incredible, well, yeah. but we had to have it. 
to survive. <coughs> Our country can feed the world, without a doubt. We can feed the world if we're allowed to. If we're allowed to. If if we're allowed to. If we're allowed to implement these, um, the GMO acts and stuff like that. I mean, if you look at... Just look at what corn is supposed to be. Look at what corn, before GMOs, 300 years ago, whatever it was, look at what corn was. Yeah. And look at today's corn. No you comparison. won't notice. Uh, there's no comparison. It's, no. it's a completely different plant. Absolutely. Some people think that that's a bad thing. And, and we look at it as a blessing. And it is a blessing. We, we, need, we need corn f- for everything. And if you think that's good, whatever. If you think that's bad, whatever. Corn is in everything. And Lots we need it. Corn. Very scary. Lots of corn. It's very scary time. It is. It's an it's an interesting time. I don't know if my grandkids. I don't have any of those yet. I don't know if my grandkids will even understand what I saw when I was a kid, and what my dad saw, and what my grandfather. You know, my grandfather farmed with horses. Yeah. And two bottom plows, and there was no such thing as a cab tractor. You were lucky if you had an umbrella. I learned to drive a tractor uncab. Then when we got one with air conditioning. It was. Amazing. Now they have GPS, GPS auto steer, satellite steer. radio, air ride seats, you name it. It's like riding in your pickup. Yeah. Better. Well, that's that's what and, comes with the cost that we were talking cost about earlier. $350,000. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. You said cost, but you have all this GPS and new technology. It's going to cost a little bit to put the machinery together. I talked to a guy today, and he, he rebuilds cotton pickers for a living and has for a long time. and. I asked him, I said, Rex, how much did a cotton, how, do you remember how much a two-row cotton picker cost back when you started? He said, ah, that would have been about 40 years ago. He said, I think a two-row cotton picker then was about uh, 30000 Today, a new six-row is 750000 Oh, my gosh. That's insane. That is a tremendous house, or in some parts of the country, a small ranch yeah. is what one cotton picker costs. We were talking earlier about um, we can't get any young producers to stay in the industry. Pretty hard. And with, I like to think about this. So there's always that statistic thrown around that only 2% of the U.S. population is involved in agriculture. Correct. And 98% of that 2% is family owned. I like that argument. I think that's it, it holds up. You can say, oh, only 2% of agriculture uh, or people are involved in agriculture in the United States. That needs to be bumped up. And then you go down to the micro and say that 98% are owned by family farms. That's an incredible statistic to use. But I think we're going away from that. You bet we are. We are moving so much. And I, I'm going to say it. Let's hear it. I'm going to say it. And don't, don't get mad at me, people. We are moving into a factory farming age. Absolutely. And anybody that says that factory farms are not real, they're real. They're, and and it, it depends on... I and, think the term factory is a, bad, okay, is a bad term because it makes it sound like it's something bad. Let's say industrialized farming. Large scale. Large scale. Large scale. And I think uh, uh, where, we're, where we're getting consumers um, kind of pissed off is not crops. They don't care about crops. They don't care about industrialized or large-scale farming crops. What consumers are pissed off about is the large-scale cattle farming and feedlots. Livestock. And livestock. Pork. Stuff like that. I don't know where I was going with this, but 
I don't know how to like make make us look better in the eyes of consumers when the only the only thing that they're seeing are these huge feedlots where cattle are only put for a couple months. The, the like the last part of their lives, they're usually on pasture and then they get sent to feedlots. Well, so I'll tell you, I went through a program at, and I think anybody in the pork industry that has the opportunity should in your state organization, they have a, a program called the PLI, uh, Producer Leaders, Producers Leadership Institute. I did it two years ago. Um, and you go to Washington, D.C. twice. You have some, you have an out of the country meeting. You go to the World Pork Expo when it was still there and yeah. have meetings at the uh, NPPC and the, and the, at the pork board offices. <clears throat> you learn a lot about that, the social media. Here's what it, you see, Cannon. So if you think about this for a second, the people that are the talkers are the affluent or the ones that have the time to do it. The people that are in the trenches digging and working and the, the real true blue collar hardcore, they just want good quality food for their yeah. family. Yeah. They don't care about the GMO so much. They don't care. The people, I just, I just say it like you did, the people that got too much time and money are the ones that are causing the problem. Exactly. That's just the way it is. You're and right. you find that. that you got not, too soft. We found that out at that PLI. They showed us a lot of stuff on social media and these people and the, and the protesters. They got no jobs. No. They got independent wealth. They've got trust funds. They've got these things a lot. Or somebody has enabled them to be able to do that because they're not worried about going out and working every single day. And with social with it with the era of social media and the internet, that's what's changed it. Because we're probably doing a better job on factory farms of, of welfare of animals. Large scale agriculture. Large scale, yeah. And I, I used your term. I hate I hated that I said it too. It is, I want to say a bad term. I hated that term. I said it, but it, it, it large it scale like a yeah. company like Smithfield, yeah, or, or JBS, JBS, yeah. or whoever yeah. that may be, Tyson, yeah, all of those. Um, they are more focused on animal welfare probably because they have a program as a whole because they are being scrutinized and watched than we were with old man. Johnson down the road that had 40 sows out in a dirt lot and farrowing pigs in the yeah. mud and drowned in half of them in a rainstorm. Well, at least the big guys have regulations. Years ago. They're regulated. So we're doing a better job as a whole in this nation as regulatory, from a regulatory perspective of raising livestock, of raising crops, what's going into it. We're testing for chemicals. We're testing for all this. Again, When's the last time you got sick from eating romaine lettuce? I haven't. I've never gotten sick. Neither have I. No. I'm smart enough to know that when I buy a head of lettuce from the store, we wash it. And you're going to rinse it off. You rinse it off. Yeah. I don't buy bag lettuce. The All the people that got sick were from bag lettuce. Things happen. Yeah. <clears throat> One, they got no immune system. Come out here to the farm and hang out around <laughs> some hog and cattle and goat manure now yeah. and get a little... Get a little fecal matter on your hands and eat your sandwich at lunchtime, you know? That's what I'm saying. Honestly, like a lot of this can come down to gaining an immune system because most of the people that are complaining about, oh, when I eat meat, it makes me feel like this. Or when I drink milk, it makes me feel like this. Well, it's because either you've been e eating packaged foods your whole life, you hadn't had to have anything fresh, or it's just all processed or stuff like that, or you haven't had or it's the money deal, you haven't been exposed to these 
different environments. I remember when I was, I mean, we never wash our hands when we were eating, when we were on the dairy or, or washing pigs or something like that. Give me that sandwich. I'm hungry. I don't care if there's shit on my hands. <laughs> I literally, I guarantee you. I'm just hungry. I have eaten shit. I have, I can guarantee you, I have eaten pig hair, cattle hair, anything. It it's good for you. It's, it's protein. It's good for you. It builds a good immune your, system. Your microbiome is actually like absolutely. It could contribute to your Again, like emotion. Again, it's money. It is it's driven by money. Yeah. They have the opportunity to eat what they want because they have the money to do it. If you're hungry and you don't have any money, one tell you what, Gary Van Hofwagen is a friend of mine, and we sell him dairy feed. Hindheading, a big dairyman around here, uh, big dairyman. Uh, and they do a very good job. They farm, they dairy, they do a lot, and they're vertically integrated. They have it from the farm all the way to the bottling plant. They sell to Costco. Um, he told me today, I said, Gary, how is the deal, you know, milk deal? He said, we need people to stay home and eat breakfast and eat cornflakes with milk. Yeah. He says, nobody does it anymore. You go to the QT and you get your breakfast burrito that was pre-made and sitting in a warming oven you grab that and you grab you an orange juice or a soda or a cup of coffee and out the door you run in the pickup and down the road you go and he said i'm guilty my own self and i've been in the dairy business my whole life he's right yeah people don't eat at home here guess what we eat here because i can't run because you can't yeah there's milk in our refrigerator yeah keith eats milk and cookies almost every night he loves it you got got the dandizing uh, I don't know what's in there today. Mm. Sometimes you buy at the local store here, and they got whatever they could find the cheapest in town. Yeah. You got to do with what you got, you whatever. know. But he's right. People don't eat at home. How many restaurants? And Phoenix has to be per capita the most restaurants of any city in America. There's a there is a restaurant in every corner. Yeah. People eat out. They eat whatever they want to do. They're not eating at home. They're not making gravy because gravy's bad for you. Yeah. Not at my house, but they don't eat cornflakes for breakfast. We eat pre-done oatmeal in a cup that we put water in and heat up in the microwave. Different world we live in. And ag has to ag has to bend and flex. And there may be some sectors that get out. There may be some that just can't survive. And those small won't. In the dairy business, the small guys are gone. Look at they're Wisconsin. All gone, yeah. They're dropping like flies, literally. Yeah. The guys like the Heinz that the have, I don't even know, do they don't, I don't know that they know how many cows they milk, to be honest, that's how many they milk. Yeah. They got them in five states. Yeah. They can survive because their margin, they can have a teeny margin and still make it. The guy with 50 doesn't anymore. And that's, that's large scale farming. Well, that's what I want to, that's, I think that's where I was going with my um, little rant earlier was that in the agriculture business, if you want to be in production agriculture, you will not do it if you if you don't have any capital. If you're not if you're in the dairy business, Impossible. and if you're if you're not raising like twenty thousand head, you're not going to make any money. If you're farming and you don't have over twenty five hundred acres, something like that, and it's tough there. It's yeah, you have to. It's such a bigger risk at this point, and that's what I, that's where I was going with the large scale agriculture, is because sure these are family owned companies. But it's really hard for the little guy to come in and make a name for himself and be involved in the ag industry. We were saying there's no young producers coming in. Do you know of one? Do you yeah. know of one young producer that started farming? 
that didn't take I, over from their family. I only know kids my age that are going to take over from their family. I don't know of one that's startup. Because it's hard as hell. Because in our world, it's impossible. If yeah. I wanted to do, and I'm not a big farmer. I don't, I'm not big into farming. But if I wanted to farm, there's no way. If, yeah, there is. If you had $5 million or $10 million oh, yeah. or $20 million to go buy a, a small farm. Because yeah. farm ground here that's in highly productive like this valley it's $10,000 an acre. Yeah. 8 to 10 to 12,000 an acre. I got to have 2,000 acres to make it work. I need 20 million to go buy that and pay cash or leverage it. Why would I take my 20 million and go risk it at a and farming such a small margin? Yeah. I'm going to go take my 20 million and buy a car wash. I'm going to buy a Chick-fil-A a store yeah. or a chain of them. Yeah. That's what they're doing. And that's where we're at with agriculture. Well, so that's what I'm saying. There it's but it goes back to what we said. They don't care where their food comes from. No. There's a movement in locally sourced. There is a movement. And there has been a continual movement in local sourced foods. Another friend of mine, Rock Rovi, and I were talking about that very thing the other day. That family's been in the dairy business forever. You know, he has some ideas of some things he'd like to do. Local sourced has a, has a niche. But again, it's people with money. Yeah. Because Joe Blow that works at the whatever store and makes a dollar above minimum wage can't go to AJ's market, which is a high-end market here, and buy locally raised pork that is 40% higher than the stuff he buys at Walmart yeah. for $1.99 a pound or the $1.99 hamburger that's on sale at Bash's. Yeah. Different world. Agriculture's different. I'm not I'm not a pessimist. I'm an optimist. I always think we're going to make it. It will be okay. And we will. We will. We will. America's still the best country. We have the best agriculture in the world. We're the smartest group as a whole, I, without a doubt in my mind. We got a lot of hurdles to overcome in the next years. One is just our social attitude. Yeah. Well, it's just a trend. I mean, and I, I'm ranting about like the big guys in the industry. They can't help the... No little guys can get in, but that's with any industry in America. Everything has gone to that. If you're not large, you're not going to make it. Mom and pop shops, they're done. Walmart, you're in. That's how it's going. Exactly. And that um, it scares Amazon. me. Amazon. It scares me that we're moving in a society to where we're just a bunch of monopolies. I mean, I've been saying for a while now, that, and it's really pissing people off, that the chicken industry... Is pr getting pretty close to a monopoly with Tyson yeah. and Pilgrim. I, I mean, Pilgrim was just bought by somebody. I don't. I thought I Pilgrim don't was bought by JBS, but Tyson monsters. If you guys don't want to say that Tyson has a monopoly on chicken, you're lying because they do, and they can tell whatever they want to their chicken farmers, and they can tell them if they don't get a good batch, they're like, nope, you're not getting paid here. Chicken farmers, turkey farmers, fowl farmers are getting screwed in this country from huge chicken producers like Tyson, Pilgrim, and all that. Just the way the world is because, again, and I'm not saying big's not good. There's a lot of good in those big companies. Yeah. They, they have the ability to feed a lot of people efficiently, and I think we have to do that. It's sad to me, I guess. I'm getting older. It's sad to me to see when I was a kid— we lived, I told you, we lived on a farm called the Woods Farm. We didn't live extravagantly. We lived in a house that had a rattlesnake inside of it a couple of times. 
Inside the house? Oh, yeah, inside the house. Yeah, my mom had to run a few rattlesnakes out and my dad. Oh, yeah. I've had a couple around here. But uh, we lived on 300 acres. Yeah. My dad farmed 300 acres, 400 acres, and we did great. I, I had a fantastic childhood. My mom and dad are still married. Been married 54 years, something like that. Gosh dang. Yeah. <laughs> but I grew up on a three or 400 acre farm. Yeah. That's a hobby today. Yeah, that, that's nothing. That, as a matter of fact, it probably cost you money. Yeah. Because you've, had, you've got to have a job to, uh, to make a living, and you probably have to pay somebody to do in this part of the world to do some of the things that have to be done on a daily basis on that farm. 3,000 acres when I was a kid was a monster farmer. I'm not a monster farmer. Not I'm, anymore. I'm below average size, or at least average, not above average. Does that scare you? Yeah, a little, a little concerning. We've continually grown, and we don't ever get to that scale. But we've yeah. been big. Yeah. We've been in seven or eight different spots in two states and three states. It was no good that way either. Yeah. I think mm. that was before we could be efficient. We're, we're better now, I mean, with technologies and, and the things we have. But, you know, that was 25 years ago. Yeah. Well, and technology is only making this thing that we're talking about only move in that direction. I mean... Technology is only helping these huge companies gain more, gain more advantage to just. I had a, I had a, I had a guy from an export company, and they're a very, very good export company. Uh, they're based in the Northwest. They have a farm south of here that they're, they're trying to get away from, but uh, their head guy told me he said, "In the next ten years, you will see tech companies running farms. That's who's going to be farming." Because they have the ability to not only collect, but segregate that data, analyze it, and decide what to make the right choices. He said, we as agriculturalists, and this is the key, we make decisions based on emotion, yeah. not on finances. Yeah. And we or do. data. Or data. Data, yeah. I mean, data, and the finances yeah. data-driven. They're doing it strictly on data and money. We do things on emotion. The little kid that needs help buying a pig, yeah. you give him the $1,000 barrel out of the barn and give it to him for free because I like that family. Yeah. And that's okay. That's why I like ag. It'll be interesting to see if that guy's right. There's huge investment firms that are moving into agriculture. Yeah. It's It's been happening for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. I mean, it's been happening forever, but huge, huge investment firms have been getting into it. It's so we've beat the, we've beat large scale ag well, pretty good. I want to say, I love agriculture. I love farming. I love this industry. It's this has just been something that's been on my mind, and I wanted to talk about it with somebody that would actually go along with it with me, and I appreciate that. It's an interesting topic, absolutely. And Tyson, Tyson's cool. Whatever. Let's talk about pigs. I'm done. <laughs> Let's talk about pigs. Let's talk about pigs. So, uh, you've been raising pigs on the West Valley in Arizona for how long? I think our first sow. I didn't when I was a kid. We didn't raise them. So I think our first sow was when. Oh my gosh, my kids. Clayton would have been about a freshman in high school, eighth grade. He's twenty-eight. So. Yeah. Fourteen you know, years. Fourteen so, oh. years. 
no, no, more no, than that. No, no, like longer 16, than 17 that. years. 16 years. Gosh, doesn't seem like. Let's call it 15. Yeah. I don't know. I should know, but I don't. So we started out with one sow. It was a sow we got from a buddy Billy Barnes in California. Mm-hmm. And uh, you say a prayer for Billy. He's struggling with the cancer deal, but he's going to beat it. He's a strong guy. What's his name? Billy Barnes. Shout out Billy Barnes. Send you, a prayer. You don't know Billy Barnes? Come on. I don't know Billy Barnes. Man, we got to educate you a little. Everybody <laughs> in the pig industry knows Billy. But anyway, uh, we bought a sow. Got a guilt from Billy. Our nephew showed it at the county fair. Got it back. My kids and my wife and I, we decided, you know what? We're going to breed one. Let's just try it for fun. Called up Mike Miller at uh, High Point. Said, give me two doses of fatal attraction semen. Bought fatal attraction, bred that sow, had a litter of 12 pigs, grand champion at the county fair. First crack out of the box. I remember this story. And it ruined us. And you couldn't get it again. (laughs) And uh, we worked a lot of times. I think we did it. uh, We have, my kids, we've never had another grand champion out of our sow. That's what it is. We've had five or six reserves, I think. And I've I've, we've sold the grand champion. But we've never raised the grand champion. First year, first time first you breed time, it. So you're thinking, this is easy. This is easy. We're doing this every year. So let's have 60 of them. I just hauled 27 of them to the sale. We still got 60. You've got 60 of them right now? Still. After that first year, obviously didn't keep going in that direction. But you were still having fun We've with it. We've had great success. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You guys... We've had good success. I mean, but you, your kids have, were very, very successful when they were showing. They're a little bit older now. I mean, they're an age, my age group. And every older, one so. of my kids, every one of my kids has had a grand or reserve, and Clayton says he's the king still, because he had, <laughs> I think Clayton grand. had two, I know he did, he had two grands and a reserve. Uh, Chance had a reserve. Sydney had a reserve. Casey had a reserve. Ch- uh, Keith just had a reserve. Grand. Yeah. And that's at our county. Our county's pretty tough, it's as huge. you know. Our county's pretty tough. Maricopa County is one of the best on the West Coast, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's a pretty tough county. I mean, the grand, the champion guilt that Porter O'Bannon raised there. The one that, the oh, one the one that, that beat the one, me at county, I got reserved. Reserve to. Yeah. I was okay to one, lose to that one because it won it win, the it Expo Guilt. It wins the Expo Crossword Guilt show, so our county's pretty tough. Anyway. I couldn't believe that. So we've we've done good. Raised the champ. We've had a, almost a piece of the Chester deal since Keith was a little boy. He bought a Chester, and he's got a little herd of Chesters, and they've done good. We've had lots of champion Chesters, and we've got them all. Neil's my friend, Neil Reinhardt and Heidi, and they're six boys. They've got uh, they. He's the off breed guy. I always tell him, I say, you got all the off breeds. He's got her. He's got a Hereford. Yeah, he and likes Tams the misfits. And yeah, all the misfits. Yeah. I call them the idiot pigs, but <laughs> he doesn't like that. But. They sell well. Kids like them because they're they're different, unique. So I say we're the only place in the country and the West Coast, I think, that you can probably go and get all those breeds. And I think it's good because a lot of those kids want those off-breeds just to try to be competitive. It's hard to get in those Yorks and cross classes to be competitive. My uncle was a big advocate of changing our county to a breed show, Mm -hmm. and it was a changer. I mean, it gives kids an opportunity. It was a weight show for a while? It was a a weight show for a long time, years ago. And then my uncle pushed to get it changed to a breed, and then we've continued to add those breeds over time, like the Herefords, like the Tamworths, like the Berkshires. you know, those kind of, I think at our county fair last year, it was 60 Burks. Yeah. Um, and so it's been good. It gives kids an opportunity. There's a lot of shows out there that I've judged, you've judged. And in, in our state that are weight shows, they're doing a disservice, those kids. They need to they need to turn those things into breed shows. 
for one, we need to support our breed organizations that are out there at NSR and CPS, Team Purebred, NJSA, that are supporting our industry and getting our kids the right to be able to show. We need to support those things, you know, support those industries by showing purebred livestock. Yeah. It's where it all goes back to. It does. It does. We have to we have to support those breeds and we have to support those organizations that are keeping those breeds maintained, uh, keeping their pred- pedigrees maintained. It's important to support those organizations, whether it be uh, Team Purebred or NSR or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, the show has changed a lot. It man. has. One of them, and it's it's the other guys that do the 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 other uh, podcast, the Stock Talk. Stock guys. Talk. Jim McCoy, one of my favorite humans. That guy's an awesome man. Listen to the listen to what he talks about. I heard the story. He talks about how the Pietrins got involved in the Hampshire's. But if you really want to, and he hasn't let it out, he'll tell you about the Pistol Pete story. Yeah, you you were telling me it's, I gotta have him on to talk it's, about that. It's one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. Jerry McLemore did the same thing with with the 105 and and the Pietrins that he brought in, and it changed the game in the show pig world. Hmm. It's wild how quick it changes too. Oh, oh. it's wild because we were talking about those transitionary phases, but those transitions are they're quick. They're like that. They're 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 so prolific. Quick. We can do it twice yeah. a year. You're right. We can change two generations in twelve months. I feel bad when uh, like wild pigs are on the news, and they're like wild boars are taking over the southwest. They can have three litters a year, and blah blah <laughs> blah, and they hunt people. Do you think that those were all just started from like old show pigs? Could be. I really think they were. <laughs> Whenever, like, I hear like I hear a, I listen to Joe Rogan podcast. I told, right. told you that. And sometimes, like when he's talking about hunting, he'll talk about those wild boars. And I am just praying, praying that they that haven't found out. Watched? Yeah, that they haven't found out about show pigs. That's funny. <laughs> because I don't want them. I don't want his audience to just go after show pigs because. There is a high chance that those wild pigs may may have started out from an old like show pig. You never know. Probably, I'm gonna say it was some old backyard country boy that probably. turned loose a couple old nasty sows. You're probably right. You're probably right. But it it's wild how they change. How like feral pigs, if they're dom- domesticated, their body change, and then when they turn feral, they become a whole different animal. Absolutely, it's wild. Yeah, and just go into like primitive states. Of their origins. Survival of the fittest, my friend. Nuts. Pigs are... They're tough animals. It's a re- There's a reason why they haven't had to evolve. It's just like, they're the only species. Like, if, if you want a species of pig, there's no other species of pig. But there's only one. They can all breed with, with each other. Absolutely. That's crazy to me. You mean they're not like the goats and ibex? No, they're not. I don't think. <laughs> they're uh, the javelina. Yeah. They're they're the pigs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we were talking about pigs. We were. Schultz Farms. So you guys are at 60 sows now. Yep. Um, I remember when I was coming up, there there was a lot of people that were raising pigs in, in Arizona, but still, you guys are have have been and still are the premier kind of breeder in Arizona. If you wanna if you wanna go I wouldn't even say that. I mean, there's a lot of guys that breed <coughs> livestock. I think we, I mean, there's guys been in and out of it. I mean, Ron Garrickin's down in Southern Arizona. Yeah, Ron's been there been a, long, a time long, and, long time. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a, other guys, uh, Gorman's and Gorman's. Get Her Done. Those guys are highly competitive and, and doing a great job. And, you know, I, I just want to say consistent. I mean, Consistency-wise. I, I, th- I, I think we consistently, the last 15 years, have been there. 
I hope we're there another 15. You're being humble. Shannon's yeah. being humble right yeah, now. I mean, I, I think there's space, I think there's space for everybody. If everybody no. just gets off their high horse and can accept that and move forward, you know, no. uh, there's people, there's, there's a market for everybody. Yeah, everybody I mean, says the market's saturated. It's not saturated. I just, I'm very good friends, as you know, with Otten Walters, yeah. uh, with, I was Russell's best man in his wedding. And he's a great friend of mine, him and Amanda and, and, uh, their new baby. And, uh, congratulations. Shout out. Yep. Sadie and, uh, Mark and Sandy and the whole crew there. I was at their sale, uh, two weekends two ago. Weeks ago yeah. Those guys have a full following. It's incredible. There was a thousand, I bet there was a thousand people in that sale pavilion. They have a huge sale pavilion. It was completely packed. There were 17 people taking phone bids. Wow. 17. It's a live sale. They sold every pig, 130 hogs, sold them all, and I think their their average was north of 1,800. Everybody, They're, get out your calculators. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Trust me, they they spend a lot to get them. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. As of for sure. as we know, there's nobody in the country who buys gilts like Mark Oddwalter. Yeah, he finds the ones he wants and buys them. Yeah, those guys do a crazy job, crazy good job. There's a market out there for those things. They yeah. sell them and have to source some sometimes to cover it. They got 300 sows. 300? 300 sows. There's Who has a, the most sows like within like the top guys that are raising hogs? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I would say off the top of my head, probably Ottenwalter, Heimer, and Cobb. Cobb, yeah. Gotta I was going to say Cobb. Got to be the three yeah. biggest guys. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what Will's got, but I, I think they're 150-ish yeah. last I talked to him. Uh, you know, I think those guys, in the, the real heart of the show pig deal... And I, maybe I'm missing somebody and they'll be insulted, but I think those three guys are probably the, the top three guys. Travis has a bunch, but they're spread Travis out. Travis has got a hundred, yeah. you know, uh, but uh, I, they got to be, I mean, Otten Walter was the premier, premier breeder, breeder last year, and they've had a heck of a run. They just won Denver last night. Yeah. And Wintex, Will, I call it, everybody calls him Wintex, but yeah. Will said best hog that he'd ever had the opportunity to judge. That's saying something. Looks pretty nice guys, in the pictures. It's a good one. Yeah. I thought for a second we had a litter mate. Oh, really? Last year's champion, we did have a litter yep. mate. I told you. Michaela Grady had the grand there last year. We have a litter mate that's a sow now. and We got a pretty good looking prospect board out of her. Nice. Teen spirit board. So. Uh, but, you know, that business, it's crazy. I would have told you 10 years ago there's no way this thing can get any bigger. There is an online sale every day. Some days there's 20 of them. There's people raising pigs everywhere in the backyard. There's more boar studs than there's ever been. Well, shit, we, we're doing a podcast surrounding it. We're doing a podcast surrounding it. When we started, that wasn't happening. Yeah. There was about three or four boar studs out there. There was High Point, Top Cut, Schaefer's. The Schaefer's have been around for a long time. You know, there was a handful, Moyers, there's a handful of guys with boar studs. Travis, is, there's, there's boar studs everywhere now. Yeah. And more people raising pigs, and it just continues to grow and grow and grow. And it's one reason. It's a good family event. It is. That's the basics. Here's the thing I'm going to tell you, and I know we've been on here a long time. We can keep going. I don't care. But here's what I'm going to tell you. In my opinion, the, the number one problem we have in the show pig, show livestock industry at all, the kids don't screw this up. Parents, do. jocks, leaders, Whatever you want to call it. We're the ones that cause the problem. We're the ones that cheat if there's cheating done. We're the ones doing this and what we and it causing issues. But guess what? We don't have that 
opportunity if we don't have kids. So we need to go back to remember what we're doing this for. My kids gave me the tack box that I bought them when they first started showing for Christmas. I'll have to show it to you. Clayton and Casey had it in their garage. Nice. And the sticker they put on the front of it was, remember why you started. And I thought about that, and Sherry yeah. and I thought about it. And the reason we started, we wanted our kids to do it. We did it. And we're pretty competitive, as you know. Yeah. I, we we want to win. Keith, that's all he can think about. Shoot the biggest animal and win the big show, you know. Um, maybe drive around in this pickup at 15 years yeah. old on the farm. But without kids, we don't do this. We, as an industry, have to be better stewards of animals. We talked about all the garbage that goes on, the, the stories I told you I'd heard from people yeah. of all the nonsense that happens in animals. we got to quit that. Yeah. If we don't want to lose our industry, we have to quit that. We need to be good stewards. We need to be good examples. And we need to be above and beyond. I'm not a believer in zero-tolerance drug issues because I think we have to treat animals but we sure as hell shouldn't be airing sheep. Yeah. Just face it. I would have to agree with you. We shouldn't be doing that. And I, if you can justify it at night, yeah. somebody listening, get after it. Justify that to your kid. Tell them why it's important. I love a competitive drive. And I think that's what that's one thing that is widely important in this industry is having a competitive oh. drive, learning competition, learning how to win, learning how to lose. But there, there's a point in time, there's a line that needs to be drawn where it, it, it's competitive and then it's, oh, we're doing some shady stuff because we want to be competitive. That's where I think the line needs to be drawn. I, I wanted to win. You wanted to win. Absolutely. Keith wants to win. Every weekend. Yeah. You need to win the right way. Like if if we're if we're just being shitty about this, we're only going to give ourselves a black eye in the eyes of new people coming in. Did you hear uh, Brian Anderson's interview on here? Absolutely. I really thought he brought up a good point where we're not setting a good example for the new people that want to be in this industry. They're no. getting they're getting scared off within the second year. They're like, I don't want to. I I don't. Wanna, I'm not I don't teaching wanna, my kids to do that. Yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to hang around these. Uh, self-conscious people that only worry about themselves that are just very selfish people. There's a lot of selfish people in this industry, in the show industry. Absolutely. And we are Keep turning away people. Yeah, we're turning away people because we don't want to tell them how to feed. And they don't know anything. It's a real shame. It is. And it's not just the show pig. It's everything. It's, it's all levels of competition of anything you do. You're right. Of anything you do. But most competitions have an adult uh, an adult aspect to it. If you're racing NASCAR, those are adults. Yeah. Those are companies. These are kids. Yeah. Take the kids away and it's all gone. The whole show industry is gone. There's no reason for Ottenwalter to breed pigs or for uh, whoever to breed cattle. Yeah. You don't have those things. You, you, there's no it's, market it's for it. It's all gone. You yeah. guys are, everybody's working, doing something else. And 50 years ago, it was the county fair and maybe the Houston Livestock Show and Oklahoma State Fair maybe then before OYE. And those are incredible run events and huge and lots of money and lots of eyes on us. Yeah. We have to do a better job, Cannon. Yeah, I, I mean... We do. We have to do a better job. Well, when and, winning is yeah. everything, all it does is drives P 
people away from each other, creates enemies, can creates contention. And if you'll just do the right thing, be humble about your win and your loss, treat people right, you'll be okay, and teach kids that. Because if you teach them to be a cheater in the show ring, they're going to be a cheater in life. And they're going to say, why'd that cop do that to me? I was only, I only drank 12 beers and ran over, you know, Gertie's neighbor, Gertie's chickens and mowed through the neighbor's grass. Yeah. Why is he writing me a ticket? It's okay. Dad taught me that's okay. Or mom yeah. or uncle or, you know, Joe Blow Fitter. I had a lot of experience when I was working at those NSR and JSA shows where it's at the highest level of, the, show, of the show pig deal. The highest. And I'm not mention I'm not going to mention any names, but good idea. There was a lot of times where I would be inside the ring and I'd look outside of the ring, and there's dads that are about to beat each other's heads off because they're not happy where their sons or daughters lined up in the show. And I found it disgusting. How are you like? What? Just like you said, if we don't have these kids doing this. We're not doing this podcast. They're not raising any livestock. The industry ends. So why is it that parents are trying to relive their lives through their kids? That makes no sense to me. Because they didn't have the opportunity when they were young. To have that at this competitive most level. Most of the time. That's interesting. I, I think. Yeah. That makes Again, sense. I think what my kids put on that tack box was perfect. And I don't know where they got it, quite frankly. Hope they dreamed it up. But remember why you started. That's a good way Somebody, to look at it. It may be multi-generational that's been highly competitive, but remember why you started. And when you're a young person in the deal and you're judging or you're mentoring or you're coaching or whatever you want to call it, when you have kids and they're involved, your perspective changes. Yeah. The politics and the bull crap that happens. I'm a nobody in this deal. Absolutely nobody. I have no pull with anyone. I don't want any pull with anyone. I want to go if my kids win, it's because they have the best animal. They did the best job. They worked the hardest. And we got lucky that day. Things, all the pieces fell together. I don't want to win because I'm squirting water on it and I bought a $10,000 guilt from that guy last week. I'm out. Yeah. Totally out. There's a lot of people that aren't. A lot. It's just, it's such it's, a complex. It's so it's complex. Still, I'm going to go Saturday and help a show here yeah. that has 1,100 entries of sheep, goats, and hogs. I'm going to go help the families do that. There's some people that run those things that are incredible, and it's fun to be around them yeah. and to see those kids smile on their face. And It's what I love to do. That's what it's for. And that's why I we need wish, to... wish you could make a little better living at it. Well, you're doing all right. We're doing okay. It's a, it's a good way to keep yourself diversified like we've been talking about. Yep. But we need more people. With your mindset. That's what I'm saying. I think you're seeing a swing, Cannon. I think, I think you're right. And you know why? Because people are more open about it. They're more open about, hey, that's BS. Yeah. That's political. And one is social media, podcasts, these kind of things. People get called on the carpet. Oh, yeah. It happens. Yeah. This, this whole political thing, it was like a rampage for like five years to where you didn't really know if it was political or not. And I... 
I hate saying that because a lot of people used it as, as an excuse. They use it as an excuse most of the time. But it happens. And I think, and I think it does sometimes. But I think for the most part, you know, you judge. You, know, you go in there and judge 350 hogs. How am I going to remember Susie Q with a pink bow in class 19 yeah. supposed to win? Well, what'd you say? You told me a story about Russell. People always try to tell him, hey, purple shirt in the sixth class. And he's like, dude, I don't have time to remember that. Like, yeah, he told me a story even... one time, and I think somebody <clears throat> somebody sent him a text or sent him something that said, hey, just remember this. And he's like, I didn't see it till the morning before. And he said, I thought, are you kidding me? And he said, I got done with the show, and it reminded me. I wonder where that kid placed. And he said, "Dead last." Dead last. And he said, "They probably thought I did it on purpose because the text." And I hope they did. Good. I hope they did, but it wasn't on purpose. Yeah. But uh, I, I think there's a lot of good guys out there judging. There's a lot of good things going on. Show industry is a ball. Do it for the right reason. Yeah. Be kind to people. You know, Will said it. I, I and I I've, I've been friends with Will and Jay and those guys. And Jay's a, a really good guy and. Jay, Will said it last night, I think, you know, be kind. You don't know what people are going through. Be nice to people. It's easier. It's as easy to be nice as it is to be a butthead. Yeah. You know, take your licking and keep on ticking. Don't be such a jack wagon. We got them in our industry. As you know, we... It's a, it's a mess sometimes. It's a mess sometimes. Yeah, let's leave it at that. I think that's a good way to end it. Yeah, it's a mess sometimes. <laughs> we have thing we didn't talk about. What's up? It's our Phoenix show. Oh, we get it was fun. I'm going to talk about it for one second. Do it. We had a blast. Give them, give them, give them a little bit of background because we've talked about turnout. But Uh, real simple, we Jeff and I had the idea for several years. We finally got our state fair to let us put it together. Uh, Three judge panel on one day: guilt show, barrel show, showmanship. Judges for all. Judges were all amazing. Everybody that judged, we've heard rave reviews. Uh, Lindsay Poland. Everybody loved her for showmanship. They said, bring her back every year. Uh, it was a success. We're weighing our options, see if we're going to redo it again. Uh, lots of work. Yeah. Um, so it was fun. But we appreciated all the people that came. We had a couple of hundred there the first time, and it was good. And Russell, Brad Mabry, and Troy Sloan were our guys uh, on the three-judge panel deal. We made some software, and yeah. it's, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had. When and I, you sucked. You didn't make it. Yeah, I had my a- AC compressor seized up on my truck, and I didn't trust it. I drive an old pickup, folks. I drive a '94 Chevy manual, uh, and the AC compressor seized up on me, and that's got the belt. It's kind of in the beltway, so wasn't able to make it to Phoenix. Kind of pissed me off. It'll happen. I'll make it next year. You guys are gonna do it again. I don't care what you Probably say. So. You guys are going to do it again. Probably so. Um, Bigger and better. And I only heard good things from it. Only heard good things from it. I thought it was awesome. It was good. And the the marketing and and the banners and all the awards that go into it, I think you guys made it worthwhile. Like you said, the panel judge, the new software that people can use. The show industry is changing. The, The show industry, like people putting on shows. Oh, yeah. That's changing so a lot. quick a lot and i think um i mean oie kind of led that charge i think they were the they were the big show that went out of line with every others they did the lights they did the music they're making it an experience yeah for sure and i think it's awesome it is it's cool all right shannon that's been all i fun, got for amigo. you i don't know how long we've been on there but it's been a while we did like an hour and 
45 minutes, hour 50 minutes. Do we set the record? No, Ernest was like two hours or something like that. We better come up with something. I can't, <laughs> I can't let that guy beat me. What do you think? What? What? No, I'm teasing. No, it's been good. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I guess in our deal is we do this as a family thing, and I'm lucky that I had great parents to teach me, and I got an awesome wife that you know who the you know who the glue is around this outfit. Oh, yeah. She's the one that's up in the middle of the night pulling pigs, and yeah. we bail hay together sometimes, and we do lots of stuff together, and we're lucky to live out here in the middle of sticks with our kids. I wish our younger or older kids would have came out here, but yeah. we 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 plan on being in the show industry for a long time and in agriculture because I don't know how to do anything else, so that's what I'll have to continue to do till somebody said, "When are you going to retire?" I said, "I guess when they dig the hole." <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I uh, we we did one of these interviews when I was first starting to think about doing this podcast. In the pickup in, in the pick Tucson. Up. In Tucson. Two years ago this March. One year, a year ago. ago March. A year ago in March, yeah. A year ago in March. Uh, so it's almost come full circle. I had to get you back on again. I appreciate it. I still it. got that old one. I still have it. So maybe you'll release that at like my hundredth episode or something. There you go. But I'm I know I know I had to have you on. I'm lucky to have you and your family in my life. I mean, you guys were huge mentors to me. Well, I lived with you for a summer. We love you, you know that. I know that, but you guys do a lot for the youth in Arizona and around the country, so we I try. just want to say you guys are we incredible. Try. We try, and we appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. It's what we live for. Oh, yeah. All right, Shannon. Well, uh, we're going to go look at some goats. We're going to go look at some does and a little boar prospect. It's going to be nice. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, bye. Bye. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. I hope you guys like that one. Uh, Shannon's a great guy. He's a great friend. Uh, I mean, I, I bet you guys could tell that we were just kind of rattling off of each other uh, the whole time. And I, I love it when episodes go like that, when interviews can go so smooth and, and well, and we just keep kind of talking back and forth. Makes it pretty easy on my part, being the interviewer, uh, just kind of leading the, leading the podcast along. But um, again... Just check out my social medias, guys. If, if you have any requests, if you want me to reach out to any guests that you think would be cool, shoot me a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, I'm, open to, I'm open to talking to you guys, so um, just shoot me a message and, and let's converse. All right. With that being said, I'll talk to you guys next week. I love you. Bye.